0: Folks, if you are out there and you are looking to find your next gay relationship, whether it be something long-lasting, a soulmate, mm-hmm. or whether it be something real sexy and spontaneous, yeah, Chappie is the app for you. Chappie uh, has a relationship scale,
1: uh-huh. so how do you how do you, 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 that? you slide to the left mm-hmm. when you're looking for something a little more serious. I see.
0: You slide to the right when you want something more spontaneous. Well, that's very intuitive. Download Chappie and find your next gay relationship. Pause this podcast right now, right now. Search for Chappie in the app app. app store. It's really easy to
1: find. That's Chappie, C-H-A-P-P-Y, or go to the link in our podcast notes. Dave are we is this happening I can't believe it we're in a new
0: studio <gasps> on a new floor oh my god you got a new you got a new jacket eh, this is an old jacket but it but I haven't pulled it out in a while it you feels, got a new attitude I do have a new attitude it feels very uh beginning of the school year yeah you know yeah. it feels like we're in a new classroom um except this is a fun classroom a fun classroom I yeah. feel bad that I'm we wearing my,
1: literally my pajamas for this because I should have maybe dre- or at least showered That's for fine. this but it is
0: morning. It's, morning yes. has broken. It is a uh, terrifying uh, morning in America. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Uh, it's pretty gross. I don't want to get into we it. We don't have time for all we that. We don't have time to get and into And by the it. way, all, it will be much more horrifying by Friday. Yeah, there's, no, sure. there's no doubt about that. Uh, however, we have an amazing guest. Right. We're, we're going to go deep on music today. You think? I feel like. I think there's going to be some pop culture, some, some,
1: some pop music scholarship Mm -hmm. discussion that I'm going to just sit back.
0: No, uh, I want you to join in. I want you to take notes if you can. Um, Well, you know what? I have a lot to learn today. (laughs) This episode will come with a playlist for both Spotify and Apple. Yeah. Because we're going to get really deep into it. So here's a question I have for you, Matt. Yeah. What is like, what is the first song that you remember like really just, getting your body like excited, excited, like not, a- not in a sexual way. Just oh. like, just like the first, I mean, you have your favorite song when you're a kid, yeah. that, you know, that you play over and over in the car, but like, I'm talking when you hit like 12, 13, 14, the first song that just made you go like excited about oh, life God. and ready to like, uh, go and make your mark. There are so many, yeah. but everything
1: from, um, Paula Abdul's first album, mm-hmm. um, um, Everything from New Kids on the Blocks, I guess it would be their second album. Uh-huh. So what age oh, wow. are we talking you know, about the, we're, yeah. we're talking about like in the ten, age 10, Okay, like the, the early 90s. Uh-huh. Um, What was it about Paul Abdul that like reached into your soul? You know what? I'd like to answer that question with our guest after the break. Okay. Because I think he, he can articulate it better than I ever will be able to. Okay. What was That's it fair. for you?
0: For me, and this is pretty basic. Um, but it, it really, it checked. I mean, I had favorite songs before this, but I must've been 13 when, and, and I saw it, I saw it and heard it for the first time at the same time because we had just gotten MTV. Mm. Um, but don't you forget about me from Simple Minds made my, made me like stand up and take notice. Yeah. It was like, it hit everything for me. It was a little new wavy. It was a band that I didn't know. Uh, the lead singer was in tweed. Um, you know, you get Molly Ringwald. Yeah. In the video, you get a, you get a, you know, Emilio Estevez in a in a hoodie. Everything you want. The, the lyrics don't make any sense. It no. was number one on my weekly top ten that I made in a notebook only for myself. Yeah. Uh, throughout my adolescence, it just absolutely made me want to like go and be a part of culture. You and know what I, I mean, feel that that song is still in you. Oh no! Questions like it's that's never a, left that's me. A,
1: yeah, it's like it's a cornerstone of the yeah. the, the, the tapestry of yeah, you
0: for sure. It and uh, everybody wants to rule the world mm-hmm. are songs that like it's just never the wrong time to hear those songs. You know what I mean? Our guest can barely contain himself. I know. In this I know. Why are we not? Why are I'm, we know, doing this? We should this? probably
1: uh, bring him in. Let's do it uh, quickly. Let, we'll we'll yeah. take a quick break and we'll be right back yeah. with uh, uh, pop music. Uh, scholar yeah. aficionado yeah
0: oh but b- before you say his name oh uh, yeah yeah i just i just had this thought for the first time and i want to
1: put it out i there. love by the way when there's so much build up for a guest name as if it's yeah. not already um everyone already knows
0: what <laughs> you guess know what it's <laughs> anyway. going to be uh, But continue with the build up but listeners tell us your song like the song that just lit you up for the first time in your life yeah give it to us at homophilia.pod send us uh, a pod f- on twitter yes we'll yes. make a big old playlist we'll share it together
1: what fun. Anyway, without as you further were. actually, with a little bit further ado, we'll take a quick break and mm-hmm. then we will be back with Let's David. not tell him yet. Oh, <laughs> that person that will make <laughs> you you shall not be named until after the break. Bye.
0: Well, Pod Swag is your one-stop shop for all podcast merch. Merch. Merchandise, a wide array of items like shirts, pins, hoodies. Mugs, posters, accessories, much more. Courtesy of all your favorite podcasts. And when
1: you say much more, does mm-hmm. that mean it also includes, I don't know, a signed copy of Dave Holmes' memoir, Party of One, a memoir and twenty-one songs? Matt, it does. I can't think of a better holiday gift. Oh my god, Podswag. Go to podswag.com slash homo to check out the collection and get your copy of Party One today. Podswag.com slash homo.
0: We're back. Hi, we're back, <laughs> folks. Our guest uh, is is just is a is a, a towering figure in the world of music. Yeah, he has been on the top of our list uh, since day
1: one. Yeah, and uh, this has been a slow burn to uh, to, to finally have him here. He's yeah. very fit. We were like, you know what? Not until we're in the new studio. Yeah,
0: no, he he deserves something brand new, a fresh table to sign his name on. This is a person that I'm very excited about uh, being here for a lot of reasons. Yeah. First and foremost right now is this is one of the few people on the planet who will understand um, when I say that I woke up with Everybody Dance by Tamara and the Scene stuck in my head. (sighs) God. Oh, 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 oh. oh what oh, a good, oh, what a deep oh, 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 cut. Oh, oh everybody, everybody dance. This was a song that oh, peaked oh, around oh, number 30 and yeah, No, 85.
1: I know it. It was, yeah. it it
2: was like a. Everybody dance now. No, no. No, no, that's a different. No. Song. That's, 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 that's CNC Music so. Factory. Tamara, tom- 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 or Tamara, as I okay. thought when I was like 14. I think, I think yeah. It's t- probably. Tom- uh, t- Tamara she looks like a Tamara. It's probably Tamara. Tamara yeah. and the scene. It's all on Spotify. Sure. Believe it or not, It's, it's all on streaming, the playlist and right. she had she had like a couple singles that troubled the top 40.
0: Mhm. That troubled the, the top said. 40. Yeah. Said yeah. like a true chart aficionado.
2: I am a chart You know, I was a chart aficionado you said earlier about keeping a notebook of charts when you Uh were a kid just for yourself. I used to do that, too. Like, I would write down the top 40 on lined notebook paper, listening to Casey Kasem, like, rattle it off. Oh, sure. You know, and I was a Casey Kasem queen. I was not a Rick Dees person. Oh, God, me Rick Dees, even back then, I thought Rick Dees was too mask. It was too, like, faux, masculine, like, bro-ish. And he never paid any attention to, like— Paula Abdul or Debbie Gibson yeah. or things like that. It was always, like, a big, long, boring story about, like, Def Leppard, who I also loved, but, sure, you know. Sure, but anyway. not quite as much. No, Casey Kasem, on the other hand, like, he paid a lot of mind to the divas of the day, uh-huh. which was my preferred... Do you you listen to the Casey Kasem channel now that is available on iHeartRadio? I listen occasionally to that. You know, my friend Jamie texts me every Sunday. He listens to the, like, top 40 countdown of, like, 30 years ago. So he'll be, like, top 10 in 1987, you Uh know. And I'm always shocked at how good those songs were and also how every song in the top 10, generally speaking, I know every word to. Uh Like, I— I mean, that's what happens when you're a geek who's obsessed with music yeah. as a kid. You know, you were saying Prince earlier, song. my my song that lit me up. Yes, my, the what's first yours? song that I have. We said your name yet? Oh. I don't think we I have, think we have. <laughs> David dis- Russell. Oh, David Russell. You guys are too Thank funny you for being here. You're too funny. All that Sorry. build up and people are like, who? No. Oh. <laughs> they're all <laughs> collective right. orgasms. Yes, I hope so. Um the first you know, I remember the first record I had that was mine that I wanted was Mickey by Tony Basil. Oh shit. Oh wow. And I but really the fur you you described um, Dave, the MTV. Situation of just getting MTV and being uh-huh. into it. And for me, that video, that song, that moment is um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by uh-huh. Cyndi Lauper. I bought that album. It's the first album I ever bought with my own money. Uh-huh. I got uh, $10 for a birthday present from my dad's boss. Yeah. And he knew I wanted to buy a Cyndi Lauper album Somehow, and he gave me ten dollars and he said, Go buy the Cindy Looper album. (sighs) And I know I bitchily corrected him as a seven year old, but that was it for me. Like, she looked like um, the future to me, she looked like the world I wanted to be a part of. When I think about it, you know, she was my real, my really my entree into the world of like the the video star. Yeah, you know,
1: she was formative. I was trying to figure this out. I'm sure you'll know this. If the first concert I ever went to was. Cindy Lauper the True Colors tour mm-hmm. or the Jackson Five the Victory tour, which I also saw as a kid. You would
2: have seen the Jacksons first that, would yeah. have, that, that was eighty four.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Did oh, you get to go to that? I, I didn't, didn't know.
2: Uh, well, I didn't. And you got to go. Well, I don't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was a
1: baby.
0: Huh. I I have always had a resistance to like the arena
2: tour, like you the know, stadium. Really? Tour. Yeah, I
0: don't want to see something that
2: big. I was, you know. I just went to see Beyonce on the on the Run Uh Two with Jay Z, and as I was watching it, I was realizing the the stadium concert experience today is very different than it was when I was growing up. Like in that, you know, being at the Beyonce concert was like being in an immersive experience. Yeah. The lights, the staging. I mean, it's a show that you can watch in a stadium and experience in a stadium. Same thing with arenas. I think when you and I were kids, you'd go to an arena show in the early 80s through to, I think, really to the Blonde Ambition Tour. Uh And it would just be like a tiny production in this gigantic space, and right. it felt very obtuse, like yeah. you couldn't connect to it. Yeah, It wasn't until Madonna completely revolutionized the live concert with Blonde Ambition mm-hmm. and turned it into a theater piece where I think that I started to appreciate going to big arena shows and things yeah. like that. What was your fir- first concert? Um, I mean, the fir- I apparently went to see Fleetwood Mac when I was really little. I don't mm-hmm. remember that, but Wham. <sighs> Wow. God. I know. My dad and mom are awesome. I I saw every concert I wanted to see when I was a kid. You know, I don't really remember the Wham show or anything like that, but when I was 12, 13 years old, Blonde Ambition, all that, there was an amusement park right like five miles from my house, and I ended up working there as a dancer during high school and all that. But previous to that, from like 11 to like 15, they would have concerts every summer, and they'd be the artists that couldn't fill an arena at the time. So Taylor Dane, Jody Watley, uh-huh. Expose, Samantha fucking Fox twice God. I saw live. Like every, Probably the Club MTV tour? I saw the Club MTV tour with sure. the very first one with Paula Abdul uh-huh. and Milli Vanilli oh, and Kathy Dennis. Oh. 1990s number one Billboard chart artist, and I know that th- these are
1: all artists you're still keeping tabs on.
2: I'm not talking about Paul. I'm to I slam. am the Foxes. The, yeah, you know. I do in a curiosity way, and 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 tongue in cheek in a certain way, like I, you know. I really do appreciate dance pop. I really do think that it's marginalized and people don't take it seriously, and they think of it only as fluff. And right. I was lucky enough to have Camille Paglia as a um, professor for oh, all wow. four years of college. Jesus. And my freshman year, she taught this class called Women in Sex Roles, and it was fascinating, incredible. You know, there were only like twenty-five people in the class. I was obsessed with her because she wrote this book, Sexual Persona, which yeah, was yeah. basically about Madonna. Um, And I was completely obsessed with it in high school, even though I didn't understand any of it. Anyway, she said that people make the mistake of thinking that dance music is only for dancing. She's like, but if you really listen to dance music, Mm -hmm. it takes you to a place that rock never could. Uh And I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm going to start listening to the music I like with, I guess, like a little more awareness. Yeah. And it changed the way that I look at those kinds of artists. Now, I'm not saying if you sit down and listen to every Samantha Fox record, you're going to be moved, you know. Uh But if you listen to I Want to Have Some Fun, I mean, in terms of production, that record, it's really the first house music single to really hit the charts in America to go top 10. Uh And people don't lend those artists – that kind of seriousness, no gravity, because it, right, yeah. right? Because they're like, oh, she was a page three girl, and she can't sing, and she this, that, and the other. Well, but and there's, there is. I mean,
1: and I'm very, I'm glad you're here now, especially because <laughs> this is a, a conversation that has come out of A Star Is Born. The implication that a white man with a guitar is—that's really the only authentic music, and that anything other than that is fluff.
2: Yeah, I mean, I could. There's, there's lots to say about that. I think, first of all, I really liked A Star Is Born*. I came away from that movie thinking, like, my God, is Lady Gaga incredible? Oh, like, just really, and, and not that I was like, that's an Academy Award-winning acting performance, or it was in general for me, it was like the the all of Lady Gaga's power. It was yeah, like yeah. everything she does brilliantly. You know, she she did it all brilliantly in that film, but. The narrative, that story that sort of suggests that like his music is like the real music and her dance music is sort of like fluff and crap. You know, that's sort of steeped in the Disco Sucks era, which is also steeped in homophobia and racism. And that's going really deep. And I don't, I mean, I don't think at all for a second that Bradley Cooper or obviously Lady Gaga believe those things. But that part of the movie did bother me as Mm -hmm. someone who really loves pop music. Now, the pop record she... Put in those fi- in the film are fucking incredible, right? You know, yeah. And that's that. That was
1: my only issue with the movie was it was never really clear how she felt about it. It was like there's that one moment in the bathtub when he, she's he's she's making fun She's like, yeah, yeah, that's my song. Yeah, and I I would have loved like a little bit of a deeper discussion of that. Like that, wh- why do you, why is the cultural assumption that this music equals you know trash? Yeah, yeah. and that for it to be like dubbed serious Mm -hmm. it has to have a certain sound to it
2: i think it's all about what moves you you know i some people go to a museum and they stand in front of a jackson pollock and they're moved to tears right Mm -hmm. you know i will literally be sitting home on a sunday afternoon listening to prince and the revolution Mm -hmm. and i will be moved to tears that is the music that moves me with its electronic hand claps and its samples and its processed Lin drum machine and all of that, that's the music that moves me. And I I don't know – of course, if I'm listening to um, – what's that song? Uh, why Did You Do That from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, A Star Is Born? And she says, why did you come around here with an ass like that? Is that a lyric that resonates with me? Of yeah, course yeah. it doesn't in that sense. you know, no, does mean – Well, I mean, you know, it does in a certain setting. Sure. But sure. I think, you know – the production things like that in pop music and dance music that's what really moves me also I like a simple lyric I like a simple message you Mm -hmm. know if I want lyrics that are really um that that express something deeper I'll listen to Pet Shop Boys Uh you know Neil Tennant's like a modern Noel Coward or Cole Porter yeah um I just think that getting back to what you were saying earlier you know I do often think of when people suggest that rock music, whatever that even means in 2018, Mm -hmm. by the way, that rock music is somehow more authentic than, you know, T-Pain or Selena Gomez. I always think, well, I don't feel that way when I listen to modern rock. However, if you put on Hands to Myself by Selena Gomez or um, Me and the Rhythm by Selena Gomez, I don't know if you know that song, but my God, you know, Mm -hmm. that takes me to another planet. I'd
1: like to just play one sample of something for you, and then have you <laughs> defend this.
2: Okay. Uh, oh Michael no! Michael
1: played this for me, uh, and I, I, my jaw hit the floor. Anyway.
0: Oh. Can't
2: believe you're putting me on the spot like this, Dave. You know who this, me this me is, don't you? No, I don't. Well, this is
1: this is from a Quavo. Is it Quavo or Quavo? Quavo album, and that track is featuring Cardi B, who we didn't hear yet, obviously, and Madonna.
2: That was Madonna. That was Madonna. And I was like,
1: I am so glad I discovered this right when we had David Russell coming (sighs) in. When did that happen? Like in the past couple weeks? It came out last week. Why don't people want Madonna to have fun? I uh, believe me. Now, when I, I, I. Love her And what My whole identity As a kid Was formed by her Of course I want her To have fun But If that wasn't her Honestly Can you tell me You would Be okay with it
2: Well if it wasn't Madonna, I probably wouldn't be listening to it because right, I don't right. really care for Migos or Quavo. I like I like Cardi B. I mean, yes, you know, yeah. she's – I like her, period. You know what I mean? Like, I like her on a talk show. I like her on Saturday Night Live. I like her. She's great. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Madonna and uh, – listen, I know what all the fans are, like, complaining about or even the people who aren't fans but are looking to Madonna to inspire them in ways that she has in the past, right? There's no – there's no like, they're there to you know drink me up, you know, champagne rose. <laughs> I mean, there's you know oh, what is I mean. That what like, you were saying? she's yeah. saying
1: it's my game and it's my name.
2: Yeah, it's okay. a thinker. It's a yeah. It's a, see, <laughs> yeah. No, um, how to say? How to defend? You said to defend this. Well, well only because you know, I assumed you want. Wood. I. Well, I defend Madonna's right to express herself however she feels fit. And in fact, that is what I admire about Madonna the most in 2018. That, you know, she's under constant – um she's scrutinized. constantly scrutinized and criticized for everything from the way she looks to the way she dresses to what she says politically to the way she raises her children. I mean, it's nothing new. If you're a real Madonna fan, like I have been for – 36 years, you know, you're aware that the world sort of views her now as a, like a curiosity or as like a strange type of celebrity or, you know, Uh Um, I would never, I guess the reason I'm okay with all of this is because when I think about all the art that she's created that has inspired me and inspired Mm -hmm. millions and millions of people. I think I want to see where this artist continues to take me. I don't love everything Madonna does, but I see the value in it.
1: And she, she's earned the right to, to do something. like She's absolutely
2: earned the right, in my opinion. I mean, I think also that, you know, when it comes to Madonna in 2018, it's a much more, it's a crowded place. It's, you know, In the 80s and the 90s, I think you could argue that Madonna was sort of – Madonna was the ultimate when it came to a pop star. Male, female, black, white, I don't care what. It was Madonna. People say Michael Jackson, but Madonna was really the more consistent singles artist, video artist. You know, it was just consistency for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think not only did she earn her place, but she – is uniquely in a position as a 60-year-old pop star. And so if she's making records that are of the current pop climate, like this Quavo feature, I mean, that's her art. That's her medium. It's really no different than when she did a duet with Ricky Martin back in 2000 when he was the new thing, mm-hmm. or with Britney and whenever that was. You know right. what I mean? Like, Right. Do I love it? No.
0: Okay.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. That, that
0: was a, a big moment. Yeah. (laughs) But that was a strong and a spirited defense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What are you loving in the world of pop and dance music now? Um, Kim Petras. Yeah. Yeah. Kim Petras is probably my favorite new pop star. Mm -hmm. Um, I think everything she releases is like an A+. Mm -hmm. I love every single she's made. I love that EP, which I thought was really – um, smart and cool, and it didn't feel calculated. It feels like that whole spooky Halloween vibe is very much who she is and what she likes. And, you know, the quality of the records is the thing that blows me away. I mean, Heart to Break is like, the second I heard it, I I couldn't believe, you know, that's like classic Madonna for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like Kim Petrus. I love Charlie XCX. I think she's incredible. Sure. I love the Troye Sivan album. Um... My boyfriend and I are really into the Hayley Kiyoko album. We love her. Mm-hmm. think that's a great record. Um, there's this girl, Marlene. Um, she had a single last year, which was my favorite single called Next to Me. It was my favorite single of last year. And then this year, she put out another one called Ear Candy, which is probably my most played record this year. Uh-huh. And then I'm always hesitant to say things that involve Sia because I, I work with her, but really... My favorite thing I've heard this year is the LSD album, and that's coming out at probably the end of November. And I mean, Ooh, it's insane. Yeah. It really is. Di- Diplo and Labyrinth are both geniuses, and then you throw in the genius of Sia, and it's you know.
1: And LSD is the
2: name of the like super of the group project, of those three. yeah. Mm-hmm. Labyrinth, Sia, and Diplo. Oh my god! Yeah, it's really really good. Okay. Hey, where the because Robin by the way it's, it's coming. coming it's coming, coming. on Friday, Friday. It, oh it, it is it, and this
0: mm-hmm. I would imagine the people are taking a break from listening oh, to it to day. listen to this today yeah, thank you Friday is the day yeah thank god I, I think cannot, I'm very god excited for it. well
2: okay so full disclosure I've heard the album because I got like a, a copy protected stream and it'll be out oh good this is kind of co- okay yeah. it's incredible yeah it's not like anything she's put out before in that I feel there's like a warmth to it and a and a You know, all of the Robin records in the past have really been incredible. Everything from that, from her very first album I loved, you know. Um, But something that was always missing for me was bass in her music, like a sort of like bottom end to it. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this new album is there seems to be that. It feels more, uh, for lack of a better word, it feels like a more adult album. Great. And it feels like an album. It's really tight. It's, It's not like 21 songs. It's... Great. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm we need it. Yeah. So and I mean, good. how good is Honey? That song is like it's incredible, great. It's, you yeah. know? So I, I'm loving that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, but you know, when I think about like new music, uh, what I listen to, what I, what I discover or how I discover new music is on Pop Justice, um, New Music Fridays, their playlist. Okay. That's where I find like what's new every week. Great. Oh, Everyone no. should listen to that on Spotify, yeah. I uh, just go
1: to Apple Music and refresh the new music. But
2: the-, uh, the Pop Justice one is tailored specifically to, like, pop and dance pop and, you know, hip-hop, things like that. Because I don't need to hear, like, the 25 new Post Malone songs that came out yeah, last week, you. You, know, yeah. you know. I just don't. No. Or
0: the 21 Pilots songs. I no, don't. Ma'am. I don't need to hear that. I mean, I'm though I interested. like, you know—
2: Again, if it's a great song, I'm I'm into it, but that's not really my genre. Yeah. It's not my fave. It's yeah, not like it was it. when we were kids where like you would ha- listen to the radio and it would be a Jody Watley record followed by a Guns N' Roses song. It just right. doesn't work like that anymore. Right. So I'm kind of not – I can't say I know 21 Pilots work because yeah. I don't.
0: Yeah, I, I've been reading the Robert Christgau uh, – customer guides or consumer yeah, guides. Love those. There's an online uh archive of
2: them, which was created like what? And like photo like like it looks that website looks like yeah, it was made in 1992. It was the third website that was yeah, ever made.
0: Exactly. And uh and and I uh, he said something, and I don't remember the artist that he was referencing, but um he talked about a song that he didn't like, but then and this was this is probably 83 84. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, radio did its job of pushing a song beyond the point of diminishing returns and into something new and transcendent. So, like, top 40 radio in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. would, like, you would just hear a song over and over. And even if you didn't like it, it was just – it became a part of you no matter what. Yeah. You know? Like, there are things that I didn't like in the 80s that I love now because they're just – in my blood. Now.
2: I think yeah. that I think that's also time and age too, though. I you know, my relationship to music changes over time. I mean when I was growing up, I didn't when I was a kid I didn't like the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. I you know, I, I liked West End girls, I guess, but I wasn't into them. I didn't I you know it wasn't a glamorous woman in a dress and with hand claps. So right. I wasn't ready to like pay attention to lyrics and things like that until I was in college. Uh-huh. The same goes for like um you know, there's that Beck album that came out right when I moved to L.A., Sea Change. Yeah, yeah. And I bought it and I, you know, I played it once and, you know, I bought it at the Tower Records. That's so not there anymore because yeah. I used to go on Tuesdays when on New Music Tuesday mm-hmm. and, you know, put myself in debt, uh, charging everything. And I would buy everything new because i that's the only way you could hear it. Anyway, I didn't care about that record when I bought it. A couple of years ago, I read some piece about it put it on again. And honestly, it's one of my most played albums. It's so beautiful. I think the relationship changes as you get older. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Cause like, I liked shattered dreams by Johnny hates jazz when I was Mm -hmm. a kid, but Mm -hmm. now if it comes on, I mean, I can't turn it off fast enough. That's really the truth. I bought that single (laughs) in London when I was
0: 16. I had gone to London with my family and I was, I just bought everything that was on the charts. So I came back (laughs) with like curiosity killed the cat,
2: which holds up curiosity. Killed the cat is good.
0: So good. Um, and and uh Shattered Dreams. And this was like maybe six months before it came out in the States. So then it started getting played, and I was like, to all my friends, I was like, I've owned this for You're like a six taste months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. they were all like, Congratulations, it's a terrible song. And it's like
2: it kind of my hits. dad really liked I remember my dad liked Shattered Dreams. My dad also liked um fuck uh Boy Meets Girl, uh, um Waiting girl? for a Star to Fall, okay. Waiting for a Star oh. to Fall, which Many years later I ended up working with the Go-Go's and becoming really good friends with Belinda Carlisle and you know I was never pretending to Belinda that I wasn't completely obsessed with her career. Uh-huh. The day I met her I was like yeah. look I love the Go-Go's but Runaway Horses. Sure. And she was like let's be friends. <laughs> but, but no nice. but um yeah. but anyway I found out years and years later that Belinda actually cut Waiting for a Star to Fall for the Heaven on Earth album, she told Get. me. And she only cut it once and it ended up not making the record and then someone out. leaked it on YouTube. It's oh, so on, it's out, there now. it's out there now. Belinda Carlisle's demo of Waiting for a Star to Fall oh, by Boy Meets Girl. I know. Boy. Right? Wow. right? Yeah. Blow your mind, right? The story go about Boy around. Meets Girl is that no one would cut that song <laughs> and so they put it out themselves Jeez. and it became a huge smash. Yeah, it was like their only, Jeez. I mean, they had Oh
0: Girl. They had Girl, Which yeah, troubled
2: the top 40. And <laughs> yeah, and I think there was a dance <laughs> room mix of oh girl that might have been like a top sure. 15 dance hit you know uh-huh. something like that yeah, but getting, you know, waiting so for a star to fall guys. was like yeah a, a moment my dad liked that those songs my dad liked like um the finer things by steve winwood like you know yeah great song but those were when i was 12 it was like well my dad likes those sure songs, you know what i mean sure.
0: yeah you can't, you can't yeah fully
2: exactly compete. i was like no i'm I'm deep in Martika. Yeah. Oh, uh, Martika. Yeah. Michael J. Michael J. I just want to put that name out there for the people that are listening. Google Michael J. Why? Michael J. Produced Martika's debut album and, and co-wrote almost all of it. Uh And that record for me is the only album released in the eighties that comes close to Madonna's true blue for being like that kind of like, the epitome of 80s dance pop. It's a perfect dance pop album. It's called Martika's debut album. It's just called Martika. It's Martika.
1: Where's yeah. she now?
2: Touring. Yeah. After like 20 years of like inactivity. Didn't
0: she marry Nikki? Who Nick- did notice me?
2: She did. Yeah. Yeah, she did. You know, um, Martika. <laughs> like three of our listeners I know. are riveted <laughs> and everyone that's else. That's why I'm laughing. No, I'm not happy. worried like, if I know Martika. And like, this yeah. is the part okay. where people are like, how long are they going to spend on Martika? Oh. No, <laughs> Martika a couple years ago put out a, a new single called Flow with the Go. Okay. It's on iTunes. Well, you know. I have some notes already. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's, it was painful to watch that happen. So I'm glad to know now that she's actually touring the world playing mm, yeah. her hits. Right. In the style of, and you know, I'd see it. Yeah, I'd, see yeah, it. I would too. I would go in a heartbeat.
0: So we should take a break, and then when we do, we're going to come back, and we're going to ask you uh, thirty minutes of questions about yeah. your friendship with uh, Belinda Carlisle. Okay.
1: Look into my eyes. You will find, oh, I just, da, da, da. You know what I'm singing? Well, yeah. That's Everything I, I do, right. I do it for you. That's why I'm holding my lighter in the air. By Brian Adams. That's from correct. From the film, what do you call it with Kevin Costner? It was a Robin, Robin Hood film. Hood, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Not to be confused with yes. Robin Hood, which is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission
0: free. Matt, that was a really fun way in. Right? I enjoyed it. I really did. It, gra- it grabbed me from the very beginning. I hope the people at Robinhood consider making that their theme song. Just I think to, they to pitch. should. I think they should. Even if you're a stock market newcomer, which I certainly am, you can invest for the first time with true confidence. Yeah, because while other brokerages charge up to $10
1: for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees, which means you can trade stocks and keep all of
0: your profits. Also, they got a clear design, easy to understand charts, and market data. Robinhood lets you place a trade on your smartphone in just four tabs. That's so few tabs. That's right. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple or
1: Ford or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. You can sign up at
0: homophilia.robinhood.com. That is homophilia.robinhood.com. Well, folks, um, I we got some pretty litter. Yes, we did. From pretty litter. I do not have a cat myself. Yet. But my friend Irene has too. Oh. So I gave her my pretty litter. Guess Man. what? she got a subscription right away. She loves it. Meow. She absolutely loves Pretty Litter. Let me tell you about it. It's Cat Litter 2.0 comes shipped right to your door in a small lightweight bag that lasts the whole entire
1: month. That means you don't got to go to the pet store. You nope. don't have to go and get those oversized bags of litter and haul them into your closet. No. And it has next level odor protection. So instead of using clay or compost and, you know, like clumps up and it's impossible to clean up, Pretty Litter has these super absorbent crystals mm-hmm. that they trap and conceal
0: odor and moisture. No smell, no mess. But the coolest thing about Pretty Litter is that it monitors your cat's health. That's no lie. It changes colors to detect underlying illnesses before you need urgent medical care. Saves you money, saves you stress,
1: could save your cat's life. All nine of them. Yep. (laughs) Guys, try Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com using promo code HOMOPHILIA and you'll get 20% off your
0: first order. Prettylitter.com, promo code HOMOPHILIA for 20% off. Prettylitter.com, promo code HOMOPHILIA. Uh, Matt, here's I'm coming to you with a dilemma. Talk to me. I have room in my life for one new podcast. Okay. But I need it to be steamy. Mm-hmm. I need it to be not safe for work. I want it to be sexy. Oh, but classy too. Then, what Dave, got? I've got the podcast for you. Tell me everything.
1: Let me introduce you to a new show called Purple Panties. Well, I'm one
0: born already. Keep going. Purple
1: Panties. Is a new erotic fiction podcast created by New York Times bestselling erotica author Zane based on her acclaimed anthology of the same name. Are you oh, okay. familiar with Zane? I, I love Zane. Now, Zane's Sex not, Chronicles
0: oh, on, on Basic Cable from a few years back? Oh, yeah. Do tell. Zane's The Jump Off, I think, was another show. Yeah. Still got a season pass for both, they don't air anymore. I would like to get some erotica
1: from Zayn, Z A Y N, uh, oh, for the, from One Direction. Sure. That's a separate issue. Who wouldn't. Anyway, moving Heavily on. Heavily tattooed. Tell me
0: what I might hear about <laughs> on Purple Panties. Uh, well, okay.
1: Here's the thing. On the outside, Maddox, Lauren, and Stephanie, they go against the grain when it comes to sex. But as relationships shift and physical needs change, can they keep up with the facade? You follow them on their journey as they navigate their professional and personal lives. Uh, With purple panties
0: Wow It happens in Atlanta From what I understand That's right Where the sun isn't the only thing That is hot Oh baby The sex is also hot in Atlanta
1: Yes Wow Where can Uh, I listen? Purple panties uh, is on Stitcher Premium And for a free month of Stitcher Premium Go to purplepantiespodcast.com And use promo code HOMOPHILIA
0: We are back David Russell is here. Thanks for I having me. I didn't even me. ask about Sucker Punch by Sigrid,
2: which is my favorite pop song. Wow. I mean, I haven't listened to that, and I'm going to listen to that in the car on the way to my office. Wow. Okay. I, I, you haven't heard it? I, I have heard it. I just can barely remember. It was on one of the playlists. Okay. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It gave me pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of a long run, put yeah. The, put I'm, the I'm really in in my uh, wings. yeah. That's when I listen to music the most. By the way, when I'm on a run or a hike, oh, it's and it's George how and I it's how I like to listen to yeah. music, mm-hmm. it, and so lucky to live in L. A. where that's possible every day, literally every you single know? day. Yeah.
1: Um, oh, I mean, we could do another two hours uh, just on pop music, and Which I want to so
2: badly, but <laughs> we could do another two hours on Martika. I, oh, <laughs> I mean.
1: Do you do you want to host a Martika spinoff podcast of your very own? I do. That's do you know I want to do
2: a podcast? Louis Vertel and I really want to do a Madonna podcast. Oh, I know God. it's hard to do no a podcast. No one's more qualified. I th- I agree with that. Um, but I, you know, and we yeah. want to, and we talk about it, and we were having trouble finding a producer. Hint, hint. Oh, Dana, <laughs> All right. up? I don't leave here without a contract. Right? Okay. <laughs>
1: But anyway, I, by yeah. the way, the w- one thing the world does not need is more podcasts, but except this I'd one like to get this one in there. We close the door after this one, door, yeah. So. yeah, yeah,
0: thank you. Um, okay, so you mentioned a boyfriend,
1: yes, oh, yeah, <laughs>
2: oh, that. <laughs> that is newsworthy. Yeah. Um, how long have you been together? Well, James, so my, my boyfriend's name is James, mm-hmm. and we have been together for about a year, but we've known each other for a little over four years. We met randomly, very randomly at a pub. Um, He was holding a dog. Yeah. I was in London for work and I went to a pub and he was outside holding a dog. And I walked in and I said, cute dog. And he was like, are you 17 days? Yeah. And I was like, what? Just
1: uh, right off the bat. Because he
2: followed me on Instagram or Twitter or something because of our pop music tastes. And he's very into music as well. Um, And... It was, I I hesitate to say love at first sight, but I was so taken with him that I took a picture of us <laughs> and I put it on Instagram and I was like, I met this person tonight. How random, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. And then we would stay in touch a little bit over Instagram and things like that. And it'd be very simple and straightforward and just like no talking about pop music. And then about a year and a half ago, we really reconnected and started to talk a lot. And then I went to see Banana Rama in London last November, which was incredible. And I met up with him. And ever since then, we've been seeing each other really, really regularly.
1: So how did you – were you already uh, trying to shift the tone of the conversation from this is just friendly pop music banter to
2: – We had talked about James, – James had wanted to move to L.A. And we started talking about things like that. And that started to reveal, like – the deeper sides of ourselves. And I started to fall in love with this person that I was communicating with about these sort of deeper sides of ourselves. And then we started to talk. And then it just, it naturally sort of transitioned. He always says that it was the day we met for brunch when I went to London for Bananarama that I put my hand on his leg or his, when I was saying goodbye and he was like, oh, you know, so that's nice. But you know, it's, It's hard. He lives in Scotland, um, and I never anticipated having a long-distance relationship. I I never really wanted to. Um, But the unique situation was that he was able to travel here quite a bit at the beginning of this year. We had planned to marry at the end of this year so that he could live here. I know, exactly. Um, But we ran into a major snafu with our... uh, immigration status for him mm-hmm. and so now we have to apply for what's called a k-1 visa and that takes like a year to process yeah i know and so for, in, for the next year you will only be i'm the only scotland. one who can travel yeah i have to fly to scotland for the next year so he so. can't come here at all he can't not while we're processing this visa jeez you can
1: fly other i mean he can meet you in other places mm-hmm. in europe and stuff mm-hmm. he just can't come here yeah so it makes it hard but Yes. Yeah, so how many times are we going to be seeing him in the next year?
2: Well, I'm going to see him as much as I possibly can. Hopefully, two times before the end of this year. Definitely for Christmas. Hopefully, again before that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the other thing, too, is that I, I'm 42. I've been in a lot of relationships, I've been in love before, for sure. And I feel like I'm in a place in my life, particularly now with everything that's going on in the world, it's impossible not to be affected by those things where. The point is to find the person that you feel a partnership with, I think anyway, and that you feel like, you know, I can build a future with this person. I want to build a life with this person. And James is the person for me and he happens to live in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It feels easier than I guess it might have 10 years ago when I was, you know, 32. And, you know, I don't know. It's hard, and telling people the immigration stuff, they're always like, "Oh, god, that's a major bummer." But James and I both are kind of like, "Well, we'll make it work." Right? Yeah, you know?
1: and a, a year, you know,
2: is nothing. Yeah, the immigration policies that have put into pla- been put into place under our current administration have made it more difficult. That's just yeah. a fact. But you know, we are also—I mean, compared to the other to other people that are trying to immigrate to this country, we are so lucky. So we're focusing on that Uh because, you know. So how do you communicate? FaceTime. uh, FaceTime. FaceTime. Yeah. Do you do like FaceTime dates? We don't. Well, we talk every morning over FaceTime. So it's, it's every morning on my way to work. And then usually at least once when I'm at my office, you know. I shut the door and we have like ten minutes of like FaceTiming about the day and the night and you know. Uh-huh. So
1: we don't uh, we don't do like an evening. Let's set up our phones. At well, home, the, the other fun candles. of
2: him living in Scotland is that he's eight hours ahead of me. So wow. you know, my evening is his like five thirty in the sure, morning. Sure, sure. So, you know, I don't know about you, the but five thirty in the morning, things. I'm not feeling particularly candlelight. Mm, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but it's it hasn't been, you know we haven't lived in the same country for the year we've been together and it's been great. It's been okay. You know, we, we struggle during the times we're apart just like anyone would. Um, but like I said, I, I don't think I've, ever, I don't think, I know I've never felt before that I've, I have someone in my life that feels worth like committing to in this way, yeah. riding this wave. Um, and I know James feels the same way. He better. God damn it. No, I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> It's clear. <laughs> right, so yeah.
1: is there going to be a full wedding? Are you? Well, no, that? we
2: were going to do City Hall was our plan. We, you know, we were planning on going down, to, or not City Hall, but uh, Beverly Hills Courthouse. Mm. We were going to do it there. and Very glamorous. It, very glamorous. You know, I mean, Zsa, Zsa Gabor got married there. Yeah. You know, if it's good enough for Zsa, Zsa. yeah. Um, but I, uh, we'll probably do the same thing once we figure out the visa bullshit, which can take 10 months to a year. You know, it's, it's bureaucracy. And there are bigger problems in the world than me and James figuring out our visa situation. I, I'm confident we'll get there, you know.
1: And you you would have wanted to do this eventually Absolutely. R- aside from the, the visa. Stuff.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Which is also new because I, as much as I, you know, have been marching since I was 16 years old for marriage equality and, you know, all of that, um, I never really thought of it as my own Thing and I don't know if you know Dave. You feel similarly, like you know, or you. I mean, you're younger than me, not that much younger, not but, that much younger. You know, like if you feel like gay marriage was ever really for you, gay marriage. I hate that word, yeah, marriage yeah, equality. Reversed. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, I just never thought it was for me, and I and I still don't think heteronormative marriage is for me or for James or for us. But when I met James, I realized why marriage is important and why I wanted to be a married person.
0: Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah. And do you have ideas about how, how your, the ways in which your marriage
2: will not be heteronormative? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think two men together um, building a life together is still like a political act in Mm -hmm. 2018. You know, I've been seeing this meme that's going around like liking yourself is a political act in 2018. And it's true. So two gay men coming together and not living the way that, you know, every other heterosexual couple lives is not heteronormative, you know, and we're not going to have kids, you know, all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But in terms of like the other stuff that I think maybe you're asking about, like sex and monogamy and things like that, you know, James and I, like, I think a lot of people are open to having very honest conversations about that stuff Mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm a firm believer that honesty in a relationship, especially we're long distance, you know, honesty in these kinds of relationships is really, really important. And I think we live in Los Angeles. We're gay men. You know, there's a certain, I don't know, openness that I think serves you better in a long-term relationship if you remain open to ideas and conversations. I don't mean open relationship. I don't know how I feel about that. I've never been in one. So really?
1: You're not ruling it out, but... I'm
2: not ruling it out, but I'm not... I I don't... Yeah, I mean, it depends, you know. It's hard to say. I mean, James is listening to this probably like, what? (laughs) Or maybe he's like, oh, yes, we are. I don't know, you know, like, I don't know, you know. James, please call in. Yeah, exactly, James. FaceTime him right now. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, You mentioned your cool
2: parents. Yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky. I... I grew up in a little town called Enfield, Connecticut, which is about 20 minutes north of Hartford. Um, you know, I was always me from a very young age. Um, so I was always uh, into music and dancing yeah. and uh, performing. And I went to school for musical theater and things like that. And um, my mom and dad always accepted accept is my mother hates the word acceptance because my mother always says you know what what is there to be accepted what do I have to accept oh. you know but the they never questioned my truth about myself whether it was loving Madonna and MTV and dance classes when I was 10 years old or when I came out when I was 15 or any of that stuff you know they've they've been infinitely supportive and then and then in other ways too you know I think Growing up in the '80s, you know, I said this earlier. I, I can't remember if the mics were on, but you know, the real the the main image of gay men I had as a child was of the men on Donahue who were dying of AIDS. Yeah, because I was a big like TV watcher as a kid too, mm-hmm. like Oprah Donahue, Sally Jesse. I mean, sure, I never, you know, and um and when you talked about gay men in the '80s, you you were talking about them dying of AIDS, and so. I grew up very fearful of it. My parents grew up fearful of it. I think everyone grew up fearful of that in my age group. And then I contracted HIV in 2002 when I was 26. And it was only a few years after my best friend growing up had died of AIDS. And it was a really, you know, it felt like the walls were closing in on me for sure at that age. And my parents were incredible. I mean, (laughs) I get kind of choked up thinking about it just because— it was a very dark, sad time in my life. And my parents never, never um, let me get lost in that darkness. So I'm That's really nice. thankful. I'm really lucky for them. Wow. Yeah. yeah. How, I'd like how to have them
1: on as well? Yes, <laughs> they're yeah. lovely. They're yeah. lovely.
2: You know? for your return engagement, they're you lovely. Need you need know, I wanted a boy you. toy t-shirt when I was nine years old, and my dad got me one. Wow. You know, probably did not know what boy toy meant, but there you go. But sure. didn't care. You know, and
1: can you just paint a picture of them? Because I, I know these are these. Yeah. Are not these are not two. These are not like two. Like whoa, no, uh, no. My, my mom and dad. Age. Yeah,
2: no. First of all, Enfield, Connecticut is not like you know right. Greenwich. Okay, right. so let's get that out of the way. Like I, I grew up in a lower middle class you know, 80s suburb. I have two younger brothers who I also love and am close to. Um, and my mom and dad got married when they were 19 and 20 years old. They had no, no college education at that point. Um, no money, nothing. And, you know, my life and my situation in the world that I was born into were not set up to accept someone like me so willingly and openly. And I should say also that it wasn't just my parents. I also am very close to an aunt of mine named Elaine and a lot of my girl cousins when I was younger. And they were all, they, they were all, and they have always been incredibly supportive and loving and kind. And, um, you know, I'm just really lucky that my parents have been married for 45 years. Which is insane, yeah. Come and without them, I don't think I would I would have been able to do to to do anything that I'm doing with my life. I mean, uh-huh. when I told them in two thousand in 1998 that I was going to quit this uh, West Side Story production I was doing, and I was never going to perform in musical theater again, only like five months after doing, you know, a degree in musical theater, and I said I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to try and get a job in the music industry. You know, my parents were like, "Go for it." Wow. they were never like you know no you're not we just paid for your college friend which well they didn't pay for all of it sorry mom and dad <laughs> um but you know it's like they they were they were always really 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 supportive of me
0: what did coming out at 15 look like for you were you out to peers or just a family
2: or- um it, it started with family my mother was driving me home from ballet <laughs> I mean, what else really needed to be said. But my mom was driving me home from ballet. I'd gotten into an argument with this boy that I was in dance classes with and that I truly had fallen in love with. I mean, he was... The reason I came out of the closet was because of these feelings I developed for this guy. And... I had told him, I had sort of, like, let him know that I was confused about my feelings for him. And he completely shut down and, like, wasn't talking to me. And, you know, I was 15 in it. My world, I was, it was just, it had destroyed me. And my mother asked me, like, what's wrong? You seem really upset. And, you know, I had said I'd gotten in a fight with him. And my mom said, well, it seems like you're fighting, like, a boyfriend and a girlfriend fight. Not like, you know, two friends fight. And I was like, Mom? and she was like David and she pulled over into the firehouse parking lot like on the way home from the dance studio and i remember it was raining and she put the brakes on and she turned the light on and she looked right at me in my face and she was like daddy and i love you david we if you're gay or if you're having feelings for derek that's totally okay and so i just broke down and i was like oh. i'm bisexual uh-huh. <laughs> And then like two minutes later, I was like, okay, I'm not bi. (laughs) I'm gay. Yeah. And that was it. And we went home that right from then told my father, Uh you know, my father did say a funny thing that night, you know, there's always been so much humor in my family. And when I was going to bed that night, my dad was like, Hey, you know, this was back when I thought I was going to be like a musical theater Broadway, you know, superstar, 15 years old. I was yeah. like, I'm going to win a Tony. Um, my dad was like, you know, if you're ever going to an award show or something, keep your options open. You might want to bring a lady down the red carpet with you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you he know. Set his eye
1: on, on the Exactly, the on optics. the long term, yeah, on yeah, the plan. Yeah. yeah.
2: But yeah, that was, that was started with family that way. And then um, in school, I had always been the fag. I just don't remember a time when I wasn't either called a girl in kindergarten or a fag or whatever. And so it had always been that. And then it made it easy and hard to actually come out and confirm it. Uh-huh. But when I did, um, when I was 16, it got worse for me. I got really negative attention at high school and I ended up graduating early because I had gotten threatened. My life had been threatened. And rather than deal with the student who was threatening me, my school called my parents in and they were like, it was Enrico Fermi High School in Enfield, Connecticut, by the way. It's not there anymore, thank God. Um, But they called my parents in and they were like, you know, David seems to be bringing this on himself by the way he talks and, you know, dresses. So we're just going to average up his grades and send him on his way. When you were 16? No, when I was 17 at that point. So you still, I missed my whole senior year of high school, basically. Yeah yeah god damn yeah. that so. is recent yeah yeah that wasn't a long time ago that was 1993 oh my 25 god years ago. the
0: notion that you are somehow
2: responsible for it. my dad slammed his hands on the table and he was so mad i mean like you know they went crazy that my father said they were going to sue them and that's when they were like well rather than that you know what if what if we you know give david the opportunity to just leave and of course i was 17 my parents told me this and i was like get me out of here. Like, sure. Of course. I don't have to go anymore. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And so that was it. And I did musicals and worked at my dad's gas station, pumping gas. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah.
0: That is, I am
2: enraged. I know. No, it's by incurating. the idea
0: that it's not their job to keep you safe.
2: Yep. That is fucked. I was in a gay youth group at that point. I was doing this, uh, speaking engagements at various high schools through Connecticut, through this group called the Stonewall Speakers Association, and Enfield was one of like eight towns in all of Connecticut that wouldn't allow us to come and speak in the high schools. There were two high schools, Enfield and Fermi. Um, It was a hard, you know, but I think about those, It's again, it's like with music and age and things like that. Like I look back on it now and I think, wow, how did I get through that? Because it was very hard. But also I think there was an energy that existed back then when I was a teenager among the gay community that felt very, or I was received anyway with open arms. I felt, even though all that drama was going on with high school, I had this reserve of people in Hartford, again, thanks to my parents who found this gay youth group for me. Um, you know, I had this reserve of people that were constantly telling me, you're okay, it, you're, you know, you're gonna be okay, mm-hmm. and shining a light on me. Because I'm sure, like a lot of gay kids, you both probably experienced this as well, you know. When I was a kid, and my light would shine, teachers who were uncomfortable with my flamboyance or whatever would dim my light. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I had a I had a
1: a very clearly closeted music teacher who hated me because he could he could see it in me, and he was like, "This needs to be tamped down." The way that I was tamped down. And I went back to um, – I visited the school. Where I, like, went to pick my nephew up from school a few years ago and uh, ran into him in the hallway. Ugh. And I said – I was like, Mr. Jones, how are you? And he goes, still here. We're like, J- just that that right. sort of nakedly bitter about yeah. it, it. Just kind of, like, heard all about you getting to fucking run
2: off to L.A. I had closeted to... to teachers, too, that, you know, definitely were, like, you know, doing yeah. that thing where they saw me, recognized me, and shunned me. yeah.
0: And it's it's insane to me. How, like, I'm sure that's still going on. Definitely. But I think that there are people our age who grew up with that and just internalized the message. Of course. Yeah. Like, didn't – Yeah. I, I mean, feel like
2: I still struggle with all of that, by yeah. the way. I don't know if you've read The Velvet Rage. Oh, but God, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I – I feel well adjusted and I feel good about myself at 42 and I like myself in a radical way and all of that stuff. I do. But, I mean, of course, I will carry that with me for the rest of my life. And I believe that the idea that you can escape it is a lie. I think that it's ingrained into us. You know, I still in meetings when I go to meetings with, you know, my boss or my team and it's like at like CAA or some big meeting and there's all these guys in the room and they're gruff and they're loud and they're shaking hands and they're. I feel nervous. I My heart starts to race. If I sit and I cross my legs, I'm immediately like, oh my God, uh-huh. you know, fags cross their legs like that. Yeah. Like these are things that as a 42 year old man who's been a professional for 20 years. Yeah. I still struggle with that. But, but I, and I, I absolutely do too, mm-hmm. but you recognize it and you recognize
0: it. Oh yeah. It, and I recognize yeah. it. And I'm, and the idea that there are millions of people who, yeah. Don't. Yeah. Who just have internalized that message, and it's just like, and are still 100 percent angry at themselves, and it w- won't even occur to them ever in their lives. No, I know that they don't need to be.
2: I think that's why. I mean, I really do. The the Velvet Rage was a big, big moment for me reading that book. Yeah. I had never, I had never been able to verbalize why I was so angry all the time. Yeah. Because, yeah. because you do walk around with a certain rage when you are someone who is. A target. Like I I I could never pass. You know, I remember actively trying when I was a freshman in high school. My cousin Tracy, who was a couple years older and cool, she took me shopping and like bought me like champion sweatshirts, uh-huh. <laughs> like you know, like Quote unquote boy clothes, frankly, Uh because I dressed, you know, I would wear like fluorescent t-shirts that said wild thing with like spandex shorts and stuff like that in junior high. Like, you know, and I thought I looked amazing. I wanted a perm. Yeah. Right. Well, I wanted to change it because I wanted to pass. I wanted to be left alone. But even in all that, you know, male drag of like, you know, a sweatshirt and a baseball cap and, you know, I was still me. I was still like, you know,
1: me. Well, here's my question when you, it, it, now in those moments, knowing yourself the way you do, when you catch yourself realizing, oh, I just uncrossed my leg. Oh, con- what do you, what do you, do you then course correct? And
2: I absolutely do. I like, I, I have an inner voice, an inner monologue that says like, you know, no, you be yourself. Yeah. Be you, be yourself, you know, and I, and it's, and I do it. I do it. It mostly reflects itself in professional situations because I get intimidated that my voice or the way I talk or the way I gesticulate or things like that is going to be um, misconstru- misconstrued as feminine, which then is a whole nother thing. Which is like, you know, well, why, why were we taught equal? that feminine isn't powerful? Especially when when I when I think of powerful people that I idealize, they're all women. Yeah. You know, so, yes, I do. But it's a process of correction. It's like a forgiving myself for, you know, playing into those stereotypes. And, you know, that's what I meant going back to what you were saying earlier. Like it's so deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I will ever escape it. Right. Because I learned from such a young age for so long that my inherent instinct was, what was wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's hard. But you also had – influential voices in your life telling you it's not wrong. Right,
2: exactly. And so that's why if I had that, I came from arguably a best case scenario in having been born in 1976, right? And I still struggle with it. It's like what I was saying about the immigration thing. It's like, sure, it's hard for me and James. Imagine what it's like for people, or imagine what it's like to be trans in America today. Mm -hmm. Today, this day. Imagine what it's like to be trans and wake up, knowing that only three days ago the paper of record had a cover story talking about how our current administration is trying to legislate you out of history out of existence out of existence yeah. um you know it's, terrifying. it's 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 terrifying so I'm lucky I share all that stuff about school and feeling insecure and you know crossing my legs and all that just to just because I feel like we all I think we all not all gay men, but I'm generalizing. But a lot of gay men experience those things too, and feel and feel ashamed to talk about them. Yeah, you know. Um,
1: I I'm also curious about your. Own, I mean, you you've had more than one. It seems like dark night of the soul mm-hmm. in your life and in your experience as a queer person. Yeah, and I consider you now to be such a, a pillar of strength and, 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 and and a role model in so many ways. And so I'm curious how you, you know, when you mentioned this dark year of your life, like when you were 26, you got your diagnosis and, uh, what,
2: how, how did you turn, how did you come back into the light? Um, well, it started with forgiving myself for contracting HIV. Um, because I really believed that it was something to be ashamed of. Right. My, my homophobia around HIV and AIDS was really severe, um, coupled with a lot of anger around it, too, because in 1997, this guy, Matt Marlowe, that I had met when I was 15, really the first boy I'd met who was like us, liked music, liked pop culture, you know, liked Madonna, um, he quickly became my best friend. He died in 1997 of, of AIDS. Um, the official diagnosis was walking pneumonia, but it was, mm. you know, AIDS related. And I knew, I found out I was HIV positive the day before Thanksgiving, 2002. I was sitting at the Jamba Juice that was on Santa Monica Boulevard, um, across from the 24 hour fitness. Oh they God. called me and told me on the phone because it was the day before a holiday weekend. Um, and they had to, by law, tell me, and I and they wouldn't have time to get me in there in person, and because there was going to be four days of a holiday, and they knew I was HIV positive, they had to tell me. His name's Doctor Farzam. This guy, he was like the attending student doctor when I had gone. I had gone to Cedars a few weeks before that because I'd gotten really, really sick, and they'd done a, a rapid HIV test that came back negative, but they did this thing called a viral load test, which was. They're kind of new at the time. And they told me that they would get in touch with me if there was anything to worry about, but not to be concerned. Well, anyway, the day before Thanksgiving, my phone rang. I picked it up. He was like, this is Dr. Farzam. Are you somewhere where I can talk to you for a minute? And I said, are you about to tell me I'm HIV positive? And he was like, I am. So I immediately knew. I promise you, I got in the car with my friend Jamie because I was with him and he drove me home and – I said to him, I'm like, I've got to find a way to be okay with this. Yeah. And I knew that the battle was going to be about forgiving myself. And so I started and it took a really long time.
1: And was that through therapy?
2: I had a therapist. I, I, I had ended up in a relationship with somebody in the beginning. It felt like it was a great thing for me because, um, you know, after I found out I was positive, I thought I would never date again, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it turned out that this guy, as wonderful as he was in many ways, he had a meth problem. And I was completely drug naive, knew nothing about meth at all. Um, and I stuck by him when it came out that he was, you know, when he told me that he had a problem with meth. I went to Al-Anon meetings, and the Al-Anon meetings are the thing that turned the corner for me on HIV, because the Al-Anon meetings taught me that my ex's meth problem had nothing to do with me and that it was him. And I was able to apply that to my HIV status and the fear and loathing I felt around my HIV and that I was sticking with this person because I felt so worthless. I was hanging on to him. It, it it was a that was really the first step for me learning the 12 steps of al anon and i'm not sober i mean you yeah, know yeah. but i found those 12 steps incredibly helpful in detaching myself from all the um the the internal ha- hate i felt for myself for contracting hiv what? so it was that and yeah i had a therapist i went to support groups in the beginning i have amazing friends I met other HIV positive men, I, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and by the way, you know, I do have to say that from 2002 to 2011, 2012, being HIV positive and single in LA was really, really fucking hard because no one knew what undetectable meant. There was no prep, you know, no one understood it. And it was always like a battle and it, it was awful for me. It really was so awful. The minute PrEP was introduced into the modern gay lexicon and the, what undetectable meant, it stopped being an issue. Yeah. I promise you that. So anyone who's listening who's recently diagnosed or has been diagnosed, is positive for 20 years, or you know, whatever it is, just know that the gay community is quick to respond to science and truth in general, of course, I'm talking generally. And the fear that you might have once had around dating and making yourself available intimately and things like that, its dissipa- it should dissipate because it's a completely different world out there now. Particularly now that people understand that undetectable means untransmittable. If you're confused about that, you should check out the Terence Higgins Trust, uh, which is through the UK, ironically, and did an incredible job of getting that message out there, which is 100% supported by science. And the... Uh, the FDA, now, is it the FDA here? What's the thing that, that, um, approves CDC? Like, CDC, thank mm-hmm. you. CDC also recognizes that if you have sex with an undetectable HIV positive person, there's no chance of you contracting HIV from them. Condom or not yeah. prep or not. Okay. You know, so. I, re- I remember meeting you probably
1: only, maybe it was only a couple years after mm-hmm. you were diagnosed and, and meeting you through friends. And I just remember the, Conversation around it, and everyone who knew you—I I think I learned what undetectable was just by knowing you. You met you me. Became, you met
2: me within the first year of my of my diagnosis because yeah, yeah. I met Mike, our mutual friend, that year. And like, yeah, that was—I was aware at that time too that. Everyone – because by the way, I found out I was HIV positive like a month after moving to L.A. from New York, and I knew one person that lived here. Wow. So I was making all these new friends as a 26-, 27-year-old gay guy, and I was having to tell them – or I felt like I had to share with them all this new information that had like debilitated my world. Right. It was like I didn't know how to tell people, so I often would just tell them right away – you know, and I was aware that people were learning about HIV from me, through me, and it scared me. It made me feel uncomfortable. You know, it, it,
1: yeah, I can't imagine how scary it was. I mean, it, 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 it was, and very enlightening, and that you became. I think just by like you're just by existing and by being a, a, a cool, you know, high functioning person in the world, you were erasing stigma. In, I really appreciate people who don't well, I re- really
2: appreciate you saying that because I think that also lends itself to a bigger, um, it's something even more important. If there's people listening out that, you know, it really pays to be out yeah. about. Any and everything, you know. There's a lot of talk this year about mental awareness, mental health. Um, obviously, the Me Too movement. You know, people talking about these things that plague us, that we struggle with. You know, I was cognizant from my time of coming out when I was 15, and 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 I knew how important it was when I went to speak at those high schools to other gay students to see a 16 year old boy up there being like, well, I'm gay. And I, you know, like I knew it meant something. So I knew that being out about my status in a certain way would not only help me, but help other people too. And, you know, later down the line, I did like pieces in, in um, Esquire and pause, pause magazine and things like that. Cause I really believe that being out in, in large numbers creates a sense of community and, the understanding that A, you're not alone, and B, it's for other people to see that you're not alone. Yeah. It's important. Okay. And I realize it's not safe for everybody to do that, and there's loads of reasons that people don't want to reveal things about, like, HIV status, and I right, completely respect that. But I'm if not, you can, you make it easier. But if you can, you exactly. Can't. And and I'm telling you also, I've never felt a weight lifted. Like, when I did that article with Esquire, I did this thing in Esquire, and, and it – Came out, and and Sia, who has been the most incredibly loving and supportive person in my life as relates to my HIV status, she shared it, you know, among her millions of followers. And the response was overwhelmingly positive. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really, really wonderful. So being out, sharing that, I'm proud of that. Thank you for telling – thank you for saying that to me.
1: Oh, thank you for – Every all that you are, <laughs> you're very. Thank you,
0: God. This is, I think, my favorite episode. Oh my done. God! Stop.
1: I'm That's not so nice. Truly, I've, we've turned over a new page. New yeah. studio, new studio, new new level of conversation. Yeah. Thanks to this guest. I
2: mean, we can thanks. go. We can go back to being very deep and serious about Paula Abdul records. By Absolutely. The way. I mean, As like I think we should. You know, uh, what are your thoughts on Crazy Cool? Crazy Cool is in the set list for the tour she's on right Stop now. Can your you mouth. believe it? Really? That, yes. I the, don't
1: even. know no, crazy cool. This is a crazy was from head yeah. over heels.
2: Crazy, crazy cool was the second seal, se- second single from head over heels, uh-huh. which is Paula's last studio album. It came out 23 years ago. Oh my God. Came out the same day as post by Bjork. I bought oh, them both. Wow. Yeah. Still kind of like, I don't know which one's better, yeah, I, right? you know, but yeah. anyway, um, the first single was this song called my love is for real. They shot uh, like a $1.5 million video in Morocco. It was amazing. The first time I heard it, it premiered on the radio in Philadelphia. It kind of reminded me of Confide in Me by Kylie Minogue, which Mm -hmm. no one really knew back then. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's it. Paula's back. It peaked at 28. It was a flop. That's some real trouble. So then Virgin shot this incredible video with Matthew Ralston for Crazy Cool. And they did a single mix for it. The cover art, she had like short hair and a gray bodysuit on. And I mean, it was like, boom, it's going to happen again. No. Flopped even harder. Didn't even chart. Nope. I felt, I really felt for her in the, the Whitney documentary. Yeah. That, that <sighs> moment. That yeah, where, where Whitney shades Paula, and by the way, shaded Janet too. She did. In, that, in the movie, if you watch the actual movie, the conversation is more about Janet Jackson. Right. But she does say, Paula Abdul sang flat on the record. Yeah. That's what Whitney She gets says. this one soundbite. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look, Paula Abdul is not a singer. And I think if she were sitting right here, she would say that as well. Right. Paula Abdul is a five-star entertainer and a five-star choreographer. Paula Abdul invented video dance. Yeah. So did Barry Lather. But Paula Abdul, being the star, invented video dance. There is no Janet Jackson in the way we know Janet without Paula Abdul. Mm-hmm. And Paula Abdul had six number one singles. Six. Six. So, anyone who tries to front on Paula, I'm like, you guys, yeah. You, so she Take couldn't sing? Who gives a shit? Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Like, we are not bothered listen to the promise of a new day it's like a new order oh, record I, I, do I feel amazing? I think I mean, that was
1: his first CD I ever bought
2: Spellbound? I believe so oh, God I yeah. love I shoplifted that CD I'm sorry Ooh. Paula I paid for it 10 times since we keep but, going keep going yeah, I'm just I gonna mean, say we have to vacate the studio now so we're, okay. gonna, we're gonna do a
0: outro thank you to everyone at Earwolf we'll follow us on at homophiliapod on Twitter keep going I'm okay, okay. alright I'm you. just thank saying you thank you this. thank you
2: you guys listen to Blowing Kisses <laughs> in the Wind too okay
0: Rachel Bloom You
2: all see my collection of men corpses and one woman
0: Felicia Day and Colton
1: Dunn You've seen me (coughs) have intercourse with a variety of species It's a bummer Andy Daly
0: You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again Uh, Yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice Thomas Middleditch (laughs) Jesus, I mean (laughs) Jazos, ruler of the Eighth
1: Circle And that's just the beginning Season 3 of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now Listen